As I stand here, I see friends and families that have come great distances to be here for my dad. I'm humbled and quite frankly impressed at how he must have touched your hearts. I can only speak for myself, but when I think of how he touched my life, the first word that comes into mind is love. If you're here today, and I thank you for that, that means that he touched your life in some way or another. That means that you'd miss him in some way or another. Yes, he will be missed. But while dad's death creates emotionally charged days, it is also somewhat bittersweet. My most important man has been taken away from me by God, by plan. So there's nothing really for me to complain about because he's in the heavenly dwelling with the Lord. No pain, no evil, no sin. So today I wish to solely dedicate this time that I have in front of you to share how much love my dad has poured for my family and myself. For me to first come this far, to go further on in life and to improve and continue my relationship with the Lord. So who was my dad? My dad was a man of love. He was pure, patient and encouraging. Dad was never complacent about finance, fame or trying to get the highest grade from me or the others. But that didn't mean he would simply be negligent. But he would continually, continuously pray for us. Back in the days, I was very shy. I was scared. And I was certainly not the best in school. However, it was through those key powerful prayers he had for me, and also for my sisters and my brother, that we could come this far, that I could stand in front of you to give a speech, and for myself to graduate soon. He trusted in me, and he certainly trusted in the Lord. My dad knew I was generally a reserved girl with little to open up to, but he knew the best ways to come close to his little daughter. He would keep the day awake with a healthy green tea. He, he would work out next to me while I do my own home workouts. He would kneel down next to my bed Whilst I study and pray, which obviously leaves him snoozing off. And he would be the most random dad to give his daughter a hug and say, I love you, at the most randomest time. Most particularly, his warm, his warm smile was such a calming medicine to many things. I'm going to really miss that. Growing up, mum was a disciplinarian. Dad was a softie. With all these kids in the house, mum had to run a tight ship to avoid complete chaos. Obviously, there's five of us. Uh, but we could practically get away with a lot of things with dad, except for disrespecting mum and Christianity, that is. Our kind and gentle father tuned from a kitten to a tiger when it comes to his job spreading the word of God. And that tiger was strong. My brother will be talking about my dad as a reverend outside of home, but I'll be talking more about my dad as a reverend inside of home. Reverend Teddy showed many of us how to be a man of God. Many of my memories at home was dad in constant meditation, writing down and speaking out Bible verses, and preparing for sermons. The best part was when we would all get together as a family and have an evening service. I'm going to really miss that without him. It showed me the rightful ritual behavior and the importance of both family and Christianity. The highlight is that through his actions and his perseverance to look up to God, it increasingly gave me the strength as a young adult living in the secular world
but yes. <laughs> but yes, God does exist, and our purpose in life is for Him. I thank my dad for leaving me with the best present, which is faith. In his path, things moved. Nothing stayed still. He was primal, persevering, and on fire with the possibility that good will happen if only you pray and put trust in God. In closing, we had a pretty unconventional upbringing, to say the least. The reason we turned, we all turned out to who we are now, is because his love for us was so strong that he would have laid his life on the line for us without question. I know a lot of parents feel that way, but I just don't know how much of our kids actually know it. We did. Yes, he will be missed. But he has not passed away, but passed beyond. <laughs> Till I next see him in heaven, my siblings and I will become stronger and will take slow and steady steps through our life on earth, never forgetting about his message about God and to keep our faith strong in Christ. Because after all, that's the most important thing. <laughs> Thank you, Dad, for leaving yourself as a warrior of God a man of integrity and for that I am forever grateful thank you <laughs> on behalf of the Yoon family I'd like to thank you all for joining us today to celebrate the life of today as friends, as families, and as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. It is an honor before God and the love of God to be able to hold a funeral service here today as we commemorate the life of today here on earth, but also to celebrate the new eternal life that he will be enjoying ahead of us. I am privileged to stand here today in paying tribute to my dad and share with you about what represents the kind of person he was, as all our siblings will agree on. For our dad, that what is prayer. When we come to think about dad, what comes to mind is prayer. As a man of prayer, the three things that our dad prayed for daily were Kyomzon, Songyeol, Kangon. Translating this into English becomes a neat set of three H's. Humility, holiness, and finally, health. I'm not sure as to whether these were the exact terms my dad used when making prayer requests in English. Nevertheless, it is translated like this as far as we understand. Amongst all other things, these were the three H's that Dad emphasized throughout our daily lives. When we were young, it was these three things that we would hear from our Dad during bedtime prayers instead of bedtime stories. A daily repetition and seeking of God through prayer that became so vivid in our minds, such that the youngest of our siblings would reiterate these three terms even during her nursery years. Dad never emphasized success in worldly context. Neither did he force us to excel in academic studies or future career, to such an extent that we would be more concerned about ourselves, of what would happen to our future if we continue like this, how are we going to survive the competition, 
or to earn for a living, how are we going to fit into society? These were the sort of concerns bearing our worries. Yet it didn't mean that he was simply being negligent, but actually he would pray earnestly and deeply, more than anyone could ask for. He made it clear for us, with what he saw and emphasized daily, what were the fundamental things that were of true importance. In fact, he would never tell us to compete for success. Yet one thing you do need to compete for is the race to becoming nearer to God. The three prayer points are the particulars that he aimed to achieve, what sustained him, and what describes the life of our dad today. So one, humility. Firstly, humble servant of God, or to put it differently, peacemaker, denotes what kind of person our dad was. Upon being offered a special type of honor or position, he would tend not to cling to it. In fact, he would try to avoid such things. To describe that, it's clear in our minds that he was warm and gentle, yet he was also a warrior for God, a committed disciple of Jesus, who constantly fought his way to put God first and glorify God's name, that he must become greater and that I must become less. Dad was a strong man, Yet he made every effort to make himself humble in front of God and demonstrated that if you kneel before God, you can stand before anyone. His passion to live for his glory through exercising selflessness cascaded across those who knew him. Where Tede was often regarded as a peacemaker among his friends and as a man of encouragement. The warm smile and the firm handshake of his, whilst actively approaching others before they do, was part of Tede that no one could reject. His endeavor to humbly serve others was an encouragement in uplifting others and brought about reconciliation among people. He is a true inspiration to me, the family, and I'm sure to many, and I can only but say that he was a true leader in following Jesus. Now the second part of his prayer point was holiness. Our dad, Tede, was a person who tried more than anybody else I met to live a holy life and wholeheartedly for God. It seemed as though dad endured constant spiritual battle to fight of sin and to live holy for God. In front of our Heavenly Father, who is even in charge of our thoughts, all of us as sinners experience guilt. For Dad, it was something that struck him deeply in the sense that he would have a relatively more sensitive conscience about sin that one could perhaps commit through mere thinking or in mind. He would suffer very much and engage with repentance. Even as we knew what dad was repenting for, it would sometimes be difficult for us to understand whether one should feel guilty for such trivial things. Now it seems to us that having no guilty conscience at all is the worst sin. Dad is the person who taught us that those kind of struggles are necessary. Dad prayed for himself, wife, his wife and children, as well as for other families, friends, and churches, and especially for the revival in Korea and UK. At times when he went through periods of fasting, especially when his children were facing significant difficulties in life, dad would not be reluctant to fast and would pray on his knees. God gave Ted a, a gift of prayer and was undoubtedly what sustained him. To many, he appeared to be very classic, focused, traditional, and distinctive to what would normally appear as normal ways of living in modern times. But that distinction represented his passion to live a holy life 
and to live for God. And finally, as of his last of his three prayer points, it was about health. In fact, the children are still yet to understand fully what is meant by the health dimension of his prayer point. Yet contemplating upon the prayers received from our dad, we can be sure in understanding, understanding it as becoming spiritually nourished through constant meditation in prayer and word of God to invite Jesus into our hearts and find strength through him who is our daily bread. Our dad would pray that no, not one of our hairs would be damaged, praying for our physical, mental and spiritual needs. Today we are physically lost today. But he has left us with an even greater presence of himself and that by God's grace we are comforted knowing that he will always be in our hearts and that his prayer will always continue to be with us. We remember Dad today as a persistent prayer pastor. Uh, the three prayer points have always been a fundamental part of his life ever since the conversion to becoming the first Christian in his family and has become the life of Day as we know it. Alongside of it was his yearning to be set free in truth. He is now resting in peace, as we refer to John 14, 27, beside Jesus, our Savior, who breaks our chains and sets us free, the giver of true peace. A pastor who has left his children with the greatest inheritance of faith, who taught us to live a humble, holy, and healthy life in Christ Jesus, who taught the hearts of who touched the hearts of many of us, who is always going to be the best dad we can imagine. As we remember today, let us remember the wishes of today to glorify God's name through our lives. Praise the Lord. I can remember the very, very first time that I met Teddy. And if you think of all the people we all know, I wonder how many of you have got that impression of somebody that you never forgot the first time you met them. I was standing in front of a congregation, not a lot different from this, quite a large congregation. And I can't remember what I was doing. I don't think I was preaching. I think I might have been closing the service or something. But it was a large congregation like this in Nuneaton. And as I looked at the congregation, there was one face that just stood out. It just shone towards me. You all know that face. It was a big, smiley, round face. It was full of encouragement. It was zeal. And he was like he was willing me on. I don't think I was doing that much. I think I was just closing the service. But he was, he was with there, and he was supporting me. And he did all that with one look. Now, at the end of the service, I, I went down, and I found this person who had had such a, a, a look to me when I was at the front of the church. And from that moment, I became very friendly with Teddy. I got to know him. What I would say of him is to mirror very much what has been said. Teddy was an encourager of others. He was a man of prayer and a man of example. When you come into this small building, you'll find on the right there's a prayer room. That was built entirely because of Teddy's example and Teddy's encouragement. Before that, it was a pram park. Now, I'm sure it was well used as a pram park, but it's better used as a prayer room. And that was Teddy's example and encouragement that led us to look for a place we could have a, a prayer room. That was his example. I often told him 
that he had never been to a prayer meeting in which he was not present. And so he didn't really understand the effect that he had upon other people when he came to a prayer meeting. Because he was just used to it. He was always there. Now, I'm not saying that he had a personal dispensation of the Holy Spirit. That's not right. But he brought something when he came to a prayer meeting. Something that was um, passionate, something that was intimate, something that was different. I shared many prayer meetings with ministers of the town, with Paul and with David, and I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. Teddy was there. It was different. And that was a wonderful gift, a gift of encouragement, a gift to stand with people. By his example, he showed both humor and an intimacy with God, as well as also a seriousness and our calling to responsibility. There was nothing lightweight about Tede. He was desperately serious about his calling, about our calling, and about our Christian work. He didn't just say it, he lived it and radiated it. I really, really enjoy preaching with him. It was really something that I, I'm never going to forget. And in my life, I've, I've been privileged to, to speak in different cultures and different languages in many times. And I'm quite used to interpreters. But I've never had anybody like Ted A. And I, he would always stand on my right and I'd be on the left. And I know that Koreans, you like to think of yourself as being slightly reserved. But I've been to prayer, Korean prayer meetings, and I think we Brits can still teach you something about being reserved. Um, and I would be preaching, and I'd come with my thoughts and my slightly British dry reservedness. And then Teddy would translate. And I don't know where he got all that meaning and animation from. And I'd be going, did I say that? And then I'd start going through, and then Teddy, oh! And he... And, but that was Teddy. There was something really joyful and deep within him. And I, that I will, I will miss. I don't think I'll ever find anybody else to share that joy with. I'm, I'm sure no one else which I don't think is interpreted from me. All the other interpreters I've enjoyed being with, well, we're all different. But Teddy just brought that something of Teddy that really encouraged me with it. He set standards. And standards are unpopular today. That didn't matter to Teddy. He lived by standards. So he, he gave us prayer, he gave us example, he showed standards. Now, if he was with us now and alive with us now, he would probably at this point rebuke me and tell me off because he did not like being put on a pedestal. He did not like being the, the center of his attention. He would demand that I pointed out some of his weaknesses. But I'm just going to say, anybody here who doesn't have weaknesses, then I'll point them out to you later. But we don't need to look at someone's weaknesses. We can just say, Teddy was a weak vessel. We are all weak vessels. Every one of us is a weak vessel. And he was a weak vessel that God did great things through. And that's how I want to remember him. Yeah, like me, he's a weak vessel. But God picked him up and used him. If we look at his personality, there are some people who achieve on their own. They build great works. They build churches. They create ideas. They have talent. They are doers. And there are some people who are active through others. They encourage they comfort, they teach, they educate, they sustain and lift up those around, they set examples, they uphold God's standards. Teddy was like that. He was an enricher of lives. And the lives of many here 
are richer because of his. Certainly no less mine. And we're all poorer for his passing, not less me. But in honor of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, it was Jesus Christ who lifted, used, and encouraged Teddy. And it was Teddy's example that we should not forget this. We should continue to live our lives in the joy that Teddy encouraged us to know. I will remember him as an enricher of my life. I've not been asked to give a tribute, but I'm not going to stand here and say nothing about my friend. You may wonder why we're emotional about it. We loved him. And we miss him. Better pray. Let's pray, please. Our God and Heavenly Father, we come in thanks and adoration to you, who is the God of all comfort. We thank you for a life that has been redeemed out of the hand of the enemy and brought into the kingdom of your dear Son, who is our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for Day and for all that he means to all of us. And we thank you, Father, that our dear friend is in the presence of the Savior whom he loved and served with his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we thank you that this separation from him is only temporary. And we look forward to that glorious time when we will all be together with him in your eternal presence. We pray for his family. We thank you, Lord, that they all have also put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and are able to know that peace that passes understanding. You have promised to be a husband to the widow and a father to the fatherless. And now, Lord, they need to experience your presence. Bless them, we pray. For those of us who are his friends and colleagues, we thank you for one who occupied a special place in our hearts, who encouraged and inspired us, and with whom we spent many happy hours in fellowship. Our memories of him will indeed be sweet. We thank you, Lord, that he has fought a good fight that he has finished his course, and like Paul of old, he has kept the faith and is ready to receive his crown of righteousness. Our sadness is turned to rejoicing when we think of Tede now at home with Jesus. Thank you, Almighty God, for bringing this saint across our path to impact our lives. These things we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Just before I bring our first Bible reading, I want to say a big thank you to Fergus, who's come down from Edinburgh, especially to take this service for us. And uh, he's come to take it for us because neither Nick nor myself felt that we would be able to uh, take it. That's how much today affects people's lives. 
And I know from speaking to Fergus that he had the same effect in Buchler as he had here in the short time that he was with them. And uh, it very much reflects what's been said about Teddy, that he is an encourager, that he is a man of God, and that he does touch and affect, did touch and affect people's lives in very special ways. So thank you, Fergus, for doing that. Our reading is from 1 Corinthians 15, (coughs) verses 50 to 58. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. seems obvious that Tede had many families, and from his church family in Buccleuch Free Church in Edinburgh, there are many who are rejoicing at the opportunity to have met him and to have known him, and who are sorrowing at his passing. But in the second reading, our eyes and our thoughts are brought to a new sphere. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And may the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Today, I've been invited to bring you a short message uh, from the Word of God, and I feel led to speak very briefly uh, with you on why Christians have hope in the face of death. 
Before doing so, I want to add my amen to the moving tributes which have already been paid to Tede and to suggest how appropriate are the words of Irving Berlin when he wrote, The song is ended, but the melody lingers on. I think all of us here today are acutely conscious of the devastation death has brought to the Yoon family. In such a service as this, we become aware of the pain that sudden and unexpected death causes among loved ones left behind. And as we feel the hurt of Jason and her family, we are reminded of C.S. Lewis's terse observation that the death of a, of a beloved is an amputation. Undoubtedly, we mourn deeply. But like the early Christians in the first, in first century Thessalonica, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Those of you who are older may remember Nikita Khrushchev, who served as the leader of the Soviet Union from 1958 to 1964, during the Cold War. Although Khrushchev introduced some relatively liberal reforms, he was strongly opposed to the churches, Orthodox, Catholic, and especially the Baptists, a term which in the Soviet context included Pentecostals and other Protestants as well as Baptists. During his six years in power, Khrushchev closed no fewer than 12,000 churches. But he was amazed that the deaths, that, dis, that despite the restrictions he imposed on them, the Baptists especially continue to grow. So he initiated a high-powered inquiry led by Communist Party officials as to why Baptists were growing in spite of being persecuted. The inquiry at length reported that one of the reasons why Baptists continue to grow was that they allowed no one to die without consolation. Today, as we are met here in the shadow of death of a loved one and of a man of God, we thank God that like the Soviet Baptists, we are not bereft of consolation. The reason why this, why this is so is eloquently expressed in the 15th chapter of, first, of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, part of which was read to us earlier. There Paul affirms that the source and substance of our hope as we are met in the shadow of death is the attested historic fact that Jesus Christ, having been crucified, rose again on the third day. In that chapter, the apostle repeatedly asserts that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He goes on to declare that the resurrection of Jesus is the first fruits or the guarantee that the followers of Jesus who have died will also be raised. I want to suggest to you that there are three words which sum up the message of hope and consolation in the face of death which are expressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The first of these is the word enemy. Paul speaks of death as an enemy. In that chapter, the Apostle is anticipating the end of history when he tells us that the last enemy to be destroyed will be death. On occasion, some Christians, buoyed up by their hopes of resurrection, can sometimes romanticize death. While undoubtedly Christian confidence concerning the prospect of eternal life does indeed transform death, Nevertheless, it remains an enemy, our enemy, Christ's enemy, God's enemy. In verse 22, Paul asserts that the grim reality of death, a separation from God, goes right back to Adam. He says, therefore, as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. Paul is obviously alluding to the pictorial narrative of Genesis chapters 2 and 3, in which Adam and Eve deliberately choose death rather than life in an act of cosmic rebellion against God. God is portrayed in the early chapters of Genesis as being essentially good 
and declaring his whole creation to be good. Nevertheless, Genesis chapters 2 and 3 tell us that Adam and Eve betrayed God's goodness by siding with the serpent who insinuated that in fact God could not be trusted. The cosmic revolt occurred when Adam and Eve, despite being made in the image of God, chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God had warned that should they eat the fruit of that tree, they would certainly die. And die they did, not physically but spiritually, in being driven out of God's presence into a history in which death reigned and in which death still reigns today. Every funeral service reminds us that death is an enemy and that we live in a world in which death reigns. We recognize that death is indeed against us. We try to resist it. We try to delay it. We try to mitigate it. But as Benjamin Franklin has said, death takes no bribes. Ultimately, it prevails and our enemy overcomes us. But all hope is not lost because Paul underlines a second key word with an even greater emphasis and that word is victory. He boldly declares that death, the enemy, has been defeated. We've already noted that 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is anticipating the return of Christ and the, the resurrection of the dead at the end of history. Then, says Paul, that is at that point, the saying written by Isaiah some 700 years earlier will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And the apostle goes on to mock death as the ultimate enemy. O death, where is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The reference there to the sting of death may be another allusion to Genesis chapter 3. For the Greek word used by Paul uh, of this, is used of the sting of a serpent. Certainly, the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 induced Adam and Eve to sin, which may be why Paul goes on to say the sting of death is sin. But Paul has a stronger focus on Calvary than on Eden. But he says, thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. By dying on the cross, Jesus drew the sting of death, absorbing it in its entirety into his own experience. He thus made atonement for our sin by offering his life as a sacrifice through which, in a voluntary act of amazing love, he took upon himself our sins and their consequence. As American preacher John MacArthur says, where sin has been removed, death can only interrupt the earthly life and usher in the heavenly. The critical affirmation Paul is making in this chapter of 1 Corinthians is that death is a defeated foe. This means that although we gather here today to commiserate with one another, Concerning Teddy's unexpected death at an age which his Korean culture regards as the prime of life, we are nevertheless also able to celebrate together Christ's victory over death and his promise of eternal life. So today we commiserate and we celebrate at the same time. We commiserate because we've been made acutely aware that of death as our enemy. But we celebrate because the Christ whom Teddy served has defeated death and promised to destroy it utterly. Finally, I want to highlight a third word that sums up Paul's message to us, and that word is destiny. It is the idea of destiny rather than the word itself that is present in this chapter. In fact, the eternal destiny of the people of God forms the background of the entire uh, chapter, probably Paul's longest uh, chapter. We find the idea even in the very last verse. When we are confronted by death, Paul urges us to let nothing move us. He exhorts us, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, 
because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The key phrase there is your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now Paul is telling us that uh, what we do in the Lord's work here on earth will not be worthless, will not be in vain in eternity. We have already noted that the closing section of 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul is, as it were, placing himself at the end of history and is viewing both life and death from that uh, unique standpoint. This end of history viewpoint governs Paul's assurance that what we do for the Lord in the power of the Spirit here and now will not be worthless. That is that it will stand in God's new order, that it will stand in God's new future, that it will stand not only here, but in the new heavens and in the new earth. That order which will be initiated at the second coming of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. In other words, there is a degree of continuity between earthly life now and risen life then. The work we do for the Lord here will have its fulfillment in God's new world. That new world, that new future, is clearly anticipated in our second reading from Revelation chapter 21, where the new world is pictured as a holy city come out of heaven from God. At the end of that chapter, we read that the nations bring their glory and honor into the holy city. In other words, they and we will bring into God's eternal future some of what they and we do in this life to bring glory and honor to God. The point is, I think, that not only is our eternal destiny determined by our attitude to Jesus here and now, but also that our service rendered to God and neighbor in time and space will feature in the city of God to come. And so I believe it is an enormous comfort for us to know that the ministries that Tede fulfilled while here on earth are today impacting not only time, but eternity. To sum up, as we have sought to delineate Christian hope in the face of death, we become aware of three realities. First, the reality of death's hostility. Second, the reality of Christ's victory. And thirdly, the reality of Christian destiny. Woody Allen is reputed to have said, I'm not afraid of dying, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Obviously, the second half of Woody's statement contradicts the first. In marked contrast, Christians can, without any ambiguity, echo the words of Paul to the Philippians when he wrote, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The gain Paul envisages is eternal life, entered into first in heaven, and secondly at the resurrection and renewal of God's entire creation. The gift of eternal life is available to all who will come to Jesus and ask for it. This gift is possible because of the victory of Christ in the cross and in the tomb. Billy Graham has said, You're born, you suffer, you die. But fortunately there's a loophole. There is indeed a loophole. And that loophole is the resurrection of Jesus. In rising on the third day, Jesus short-circuited forever the sin-guilt-death network. And today offers the world, offers you, offers me eternal life. Thanks be to God. Amen. Okay, please remain standing. Uh, just as others, I would like to say a few words before I do my part uh, in the program. Uh, I just want to say thank you to our bridge friends and uh, brothers and sisters to um, no, be such a good friend to Tede. And we can see that, we can feel that it is obvious. 
And I just want to remind you again that Teddy really prayed for this country. And as we Koreans, and many of them are missionaries here, to see that Korean missionary is respected, received lots of affection and friendship. And in that sense, Teddy has been a very successful missionary, can be our model, we need to follow that. And we need the Lord's blessing to continue to do that. So let's pray together. May Christ, the Good Shepherd, the resurrection and the life, enfold you with his love, fill you with his peace, and lead you in hope in him to the end of your days. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. family and uh, Korean friends are now going to go with today to the crematorium where they will deal with his earthly body for the last time. Uh, there is a box in the hall for anyone who wants to donate to the charity which has been chosen by the family. There is also some refreshments which are going to be available when the family return from uh, the crematorium and uh, they would love as many of you as are able to to stay and to share that with them. Uh, there is now going to be an opportunity of about a quarter of an hour, 20 minutes, when you who are not going to the crematorium will be able to say your commiserations to today, uh, to Jason and the family, and that will take place in the foyer outside. If you turn to the back of your service program, there's a, a line there which very much sums up the life of Teddy. The man of God, the man of prayer, the man of people. Teddy, you are all of those and much more. And we thank God that we've had the privilege of knowing you and serving with you in that mission that God has placed us here for. Enjoy your rest and your peace with Christ. Amen.